Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. To you, I want to invite to open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. We live in a culture that is fascinated with disaster movies about the end times and of the apocalypse. Over the past 40 or 50 years, there have been a lot of movies that have come out with even biblical names in the title, biblical themes. Now, this is Hollywood, remember, not the Bible, but you've had some very interesting movies that have come out that have made a lot of money at the box office, all the way going back to the year that I was born, 50 years ago, 1971, Omega Man with Charlton Heston. There were the Mad Max Road Warrior movies with Mel Gibson in the 80s, and there's been the reboot of that recently. You may remember the made-for-TV movie back in 1983, The Day After, about what would happen after a nuclear holocaust. There was Armageddon with Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis. You had The Day After Tomorrow. Then back in 2012, there was all this buzz about the Mayan calendar. If you remember that, the world was supposed to end because of this Mayan calendar. And that year, the book of Eli came out with Denzel Washington. Then there was a parody that came out in 2013. This is the end with Seth Rogen and James Franco. I did not see that because I think it's probably inappropriate. Um, 2018, the movie Annihilation came out with Natalie Portman about the end of the world. So Hollywood is fascinated with the end of the world, the end times, the apocalypse, the second coming. And not only is Hollywood fascinated with it, but there are a lot of televangelists that are also fascinated with the end times. There's always been people throughout history that have proclaimed or prophesied the return of Christ. Going all the way back to A.D. 115, Bishop Ignatius of Antioch wrote in A.D. 115, the last days are upon us. A.D. 180, Church Father Irenaeus predicted that 500 A.D. would be the date for the end. On December 31st, 999 A.D., the old Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome was thronged with a mass of weeping people expecting the end of the world to happen at the turn of that century. 1501, Christopher Columbus announced the end will be in 1656. In 1910, the arrival of Halley's Comet sparked predictions of the end. In 1938, when Orson Welles had his famous radio broadcast, War of the Worlds, it was so um, eerie and so convincing that many people thought the end had come in 1938. Then you have famous televangelist, and I have nothing against this guy, I like him, I even like his haircut, Jack Vanapy. Um... Jack Vanapy predicted the end would be in 1976. Then he changed it to 1992. Then he changed it to 1996. Then he changed it to 2012. And who knows what he's saying today. Now, some of you may have this book in your library. Okay, this is a book. It, it came out in 1988. Okay, 
The book's called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. Some of you still have that book? Okay. Maybe you never saw that book. Now, why do I bring up movies about the end times, televangelists predicting the dates of the end, the second coming, the apocalypse? Why, Why do I bring this up this morning? Well, because in our passage today, Jesus talks about his second coming. The Bible is very clear that there is going to be a literal, visible return of Christ to planet Earth, a second coming. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will come back in the clouds. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will return from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 17 The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The second coming of Christ. Revelation 1.7 Behold, He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is coming back. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we've been looking at some very weighty, sobering realities. Jesus has shared the parable of the rich fool who was rich toward himself but not rich towards God. So Jesus has addressed our finances. Last week, Jesus talked about being anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Trust in the Lord. He told us last week, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus has been showing us in Luke chapter 12 to have this heavenly focus, to have our eyes not set on earth but set on heavenly things. And now he gets to the teaching of his second coming. And the question becomes, how do you seek the kingdom of God? How do you have your eyes fixed on Jesus as we sang earlier, be thou my vision? How do you have your mind, your eyes, your heart set on Jesus in light of his second coming? The great day of the Lord. Well, let's see what Jesus himself has to say about his second coming. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This passage really has two key teachings pretty simple number one be ready for the second coming and number two be faithful as you wait for the second coming two truths be ready be faithful are you ready are you faithful so let's explore these two this morning in verses 35 through 40 the main point is being ready for the second coming. Are you ready? Now, being ready for the second coming is mentioned all throughout the Bible, even back in the Old Testament. In Amos, I'm sorry, not Amos, in Joel chapter 1, verse 15, it says it in Amos 2, but that's not on your screen. Oh, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Even Joel says, alas, the day of the Lord's near. The second coming's near. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, Jesus uses very vivid and colorful language here to drive home his point. Notice what he says there. Stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. Literally, gird up your loins. And you all know what that means, right? When was the last time you girded up your loins? Okay, back in those old days, they would wear lo- the men would wear long flowing robes. And it was hard to run and get ready if you had long flowing robes. So what they would do is they would tuck their robes into their waist belt. They would gird up their loins so they could run fast, so they could be ready. They would gird up their loins. The way we would say it today is get your sleeve, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Get ready. Stay dressed for action. And, and the verb tense that Luke uses there conveys this idea that you don't wait until the last minute. You're prepared. You're always prayer, prepared. You're dressed for action. You're ready to go. You're dressed. Your loins have been girded up. And then he says, keep your lamp burning. Keep the lamp burning. Now back in those days, of course, they didn't have electricity. So they would have to keep the lamps burning in their home to light the home. And so basically what Jesus is saying is, don't let the lamp go out and fall asleep. Keep the lamp burning. Keep the light on. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamp burning. Stay awake. Stay alert. And he talks about these servants that are up late waiting for their master. Their master goes off to a wedding feast. Not sure when the master's going to come home. He could come home in the middle of the night, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. We don't know. But Jesus says those servants need to stay up and they need to wait. And blessed are they when the master comes back and finds them awake. Verse 27, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Stay dressed. Keep your lamps burning. 
Stay awake. Don't let, the, don't let the lights go off. And then in verse 37, it should surprise you as it surprised me when I was doing study about this. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at a table, and he, the master, will come and serve them. Now what's this all about? The master inviting the servants to a table and serving them? What's this a picture of? This is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a picture of when Jesus himself will invite us on that final day to his table and he will serve us as the the lamb at the marriage supper. Revelation 19.9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Jesus here is picturing that end times reality when Jesus as the host will invite us to his table and he'll serve us in heaven as his people. And then verse 39, the focus shifts away from the servants staying awake for their master to the master making sure that his house is not broken into. So verse 39, but know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. The thief breaking into the house. Well, the Bible speaks of Jesus coming like a thief in the night. Especially in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Let me just remind you of something. The day of the Lord and the second coming are the same day. The second coming is a day of joy for the believer. The day of the Lord is a day of wrath for the unbeliever. It's the same day. When Jesus comes back, it's a day of joy for those of us who've trusted him. But on that day, it's a day of terror for those who have not. It's like a thief in the night. Those that have gone on with their merry lives, those that have put trust in their 401ks and their stocks and all these things of the world, their their own self-sufficiency, that day will come as sudden judgment. It will come suddenly. It will come like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now, I have a confession to make. I've never been in labor before. But my wife has twice. I've seen the birth of my two sons. Aiden and Zachary. Now, Zachary, it was in the middle of the night, and I think Don poked me and said, it's time, let's go, okay? <laughs> With Aiden, I think we had it planned, and, and, and sometimes I think, Don, you'll have to remind me of this, I think, Aiden, you didn't have an epidural, but with Zachary, you did, and there's a difference in pain. So some of you moms out there, it's painful to give birth to a baby, right? But it's joyful. You wait nine months, and you finally, you have the labor pains, but, but you, you birth something beautiful. A beautiful baby child is born after nine months of pregnancy and then labor. But notice what happens here in the second coming is that this, the, the judgment will come as in labor pains. And, and what gives birth is not a beautiful little child, but what gives birth is judgment. The day of the Lord. They will not escape. It will be swift 
It will come upon people when they least expect it. We as believers are not to be surprised, but unbelievers, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ will come like a thief in the night when they're least expecting it. 2 Peter 3.10 The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It will come like a thief. Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. Jesus drives the, home, the point home in verse 40. You also must be ready. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. Be dressed for action. Gird up your loins. Keep your lamp burning. Be ready. Stay awake. Be watchful. Be ready. That's the point. Be ready. Okay, so let's ask the question. What does it practically look like to be ready for the second coming? Well, let me answer this in two ways. First question, how do you get ready for the second coming? How do you get ready? Well, you get ready for the second coming by trusting Christ as your Savior. You have to be ready for the second coming by getting ready, and you get ready by being saved. You, you admit that you're a sinner. You know that you're a sinner, that you deserve hell. You, you repent of your sins. You confess your sins. You believe in Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. You trust Him alone to be your Lord and Savior. That's how you get ready. You get ready by trusting in Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior. You get saved. You get forgiven. You get Jesus. That's how you get ready. Okay, second question. Okay, how do you stay ready? You get ready by being saved. How do you stay ready? Well, you stay ready by being watchful, continuing to live a life of repentance, a life of holiness, a life of watching and waiting for the return of Christ. How often do we really think about the return of Christ? How often do we think about Jesus' return? You know, we often have so many other things circling through our minds. I know this week you may have had a million things on your mind. And all the trinkets of the world, all the toys of the world, all the cares of the world, all these things are on your mind of the world. You're, you're focused on the things in front of you. When was the last time you stopped and paused and said, Jesus is coming back, am I ready? Am I ready for that? Mickey read this earlier during our time of confession. But let me read it again. Titus 2, 11-13. For the grace, focus on that word grace, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, stop right there. How are you saved? You're saved by grace. That's how you're initially saved. But that same grace that saved you, Paul goes on to say, is, trains us to renounce or say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. What is that that we're waiting for? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The same grace that God saved you with is the same grace that God sustains you with to live an upright and godly life as you're waiting for Jesus. So you stay ready by relying upon God's grace, the grace that saved you, to live a holy life, to live a godly life, to live an, up, an, an upright, self-controlled life. You see, when you focus on the second coming of Christ, 
it does something to you. It puts you in a mind frame to think about eternal matters, weighty matters, sober matters. You see, when you're thinking about the return of Christ, you're less likely to give in to sin. You're less likely to walk in rebellion because you're thinking about the return of Christ. When you focus on the return of Christ, when you're ready for the return of Christ, your heart's on Christ and His return, not on the things of this world. So it prevents you from falling into sin. It prevents you to falling into temptation when your heart and your mind is focused on the return of Christ. So that's the first teaching in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is very clear. Be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Now what's the second teaching? Be faithful as you wait for the second coming of Christ. Be faithful. Now obviously this teaching intrigued Peter. Because notice in verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Is this a parable for us disciples? Or is this for the, for the crowds? Is this for everybody? Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily answer his question, but he tells another parable about two servants. Now, I think this parable applies to all believers. But I think it specifically applies to pastors and ministers of the gospel. And I'll explain that here in just a moment. So the question is, are you being faithful with what God has blessed you with? What has God blessed you with? Time? Talents? Treasures? Are you seeking the kingdom of God by being faithful with what He's entrusted you? Every single one of you here have been entrusted with some blessings from the Lord. He's entrusted you. He's blessed you. Are you being faithful with what He's given you? Are you a wise and faithful manager with the gifts God has given you? Verse 42, And the Lord said, What then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over the household to give them their portion of the food at the proper proper time? The, The faithful and wise manager. Are you faithful with what God's given you? Now, there's good intentions that we often have. I have the intention of being faithful. I have a good heart. I've got a good motive. Yes, that's a good start, but really the Christian life is not about our feelings or our intentions or our emotions. It's about our our obedience. Are you actually following through in practical ways with being faithful with God has given you? Titus 3.8 says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Are you devoting yourself to good works as a faithful and wise steward, a faithful and wise manager of what God has given you? Are you being faithful with what God's given you? Are you being faithful with that gift that God's given you? 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, when we hear the word steward, what do we think about? Airplane, right? A stewardess. Now they call them flight attendants. A steward was a household manager that was put in charge of all the things of the household. Now, I think this passage applies to all Christians. But I think in the immediate context, Jesus is answering Peter's question, does it apply to 
us disciples or does it apply to everybody? I think Peter sent, or Jesus is saying it does apply to everybody, but let's take a laser sharp focus. I think it specifically applies to those who are called to be ministers of the gospel. Those that are entrusted with teaching and preaching and leading. Now, how do I get this? Well, in verse 42, Jesus uses a different word there. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? The ESV translates it manager. Not servant, but manager. If you trace this word manager throughout the New Testament, you discover that a manager in the New Testament times was a person that the father of the household hired out to be basically the head of the household. This servant, this manager, took care of all the finances, made sure the food was prepared, made sure the children were educated. Basically, it was like a household manager to take care of the affairs of the household. That's what the word manager means. So in other words, the manager had to be a good and faithful steward, a good and faithful servant over the household. The Bible speaks of God's church being a household. And that the servants and leaders and pastors are placed there to serve the congregation. 1 Timothy 3.15 If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is the household of God. The pastor is... The elder, the overseer, is the steward. Titus 1.7 For an overseer, an elder, a pastor, as God's steward, same Greek word that Jesus uses there in verse 42, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Now where we really see this is Paul's usage of this same word in 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2. This is how one should regard us talking about the apostles here, Christian leaders nowadays, as servants of Christ and stewards, there's the word, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So this is where I had to do some self-evaluation this week. really made me stop and think. Am I being a good and faithful and wise steward of the household of God that we call Emmanuel Baptist Church? Notice what the good steward does in verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, steward, that same Greek word, when his master will set over his household? And what does the steward, the manager, do? To give them their portion of food at the proper time. The manager, the the steward, the leader was to feed the household. So as a pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, how am I doing at feeding the household? Am I providing a a nourishment of spiritual food from the Scriptures through the ministry? 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we're not like so many peddlers of God, peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Do I peddle God's Word? In other words, do I, do I play loose and fast with this word of God or should you expect from your pastor, the household manager, if you will, that God's put me in charge of to come and make sure that I've spent hours of study so that when I come before you on Sunday morning, I serve you a healthy meal of God's word. 
Am I being faithful and wise with the gifts that God has given me to take care of the household of God? So I think the challenge is for all of us. For you as the Christian, are you being faithful with what God has given you? God has given all of you gifts and talents and treasures and possessions and and abilities. Are you being faithful with what God's given you? Are you using it to serve Him? Not do I have good intentions, but are you actually being faithful? Are you being wise? Are you serving the Lord with what He's blessed you with? And then by extension, by specificity, am I as pastor being a faithful and wise minister who leads and protects the household of God? So Jesus contrasts two types of managers. The wise and faithful manager who takes care of the household, who feeds the household, who uses the gifts, and then he's promoted. Notice what it says there. Verse 44, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But then in verse 45, we see a different type of servant. The unfaithful, foolish, wicked servant. What if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming. He's, he, he's gone off on a, a long trip. Who knows when he's going to come back? And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. Now, this is an interesting thing here. While the master's away, the employees will play. This second type of servant is sadistic. He thinks to himself, the, the household, the, 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 the owner of the house, is, is the, my master's gone. He, he's, he's never going to come back. He's on a long journey. I can do whatever I please. I'm going to beat my other servants. I'm going to eat, drink. I'm going I'm to get drunk. I'm going to be abusive. I'm going to be self-indulgent. I'm going to slack off. Because after all, the master's not going to come back anytime soon. You know, it's like high school kids who throw a party for their parents, like when their parents are gone. You've seen those movies. Those 80s movies, they throw a big party when their parents are gone and you know, thousands of kids descend upon the home and everybody gets drunk and they tear up the house and the parents come back from the, from the trip too early. They come and they, they catch the kids having the party. It's the same type of attitude. You know, the parents are going to be gone forever. I'm, I can party, they're going to be gone forever. He's acting like the rich fool back in chapter 12, verse 19. 2 Peter 3, 3-4 says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon. It's a long ways off. I'll just live however I want. I'll live in rebellion. I'll live in drunkenness. I'll live in self-indulgence. I'll do what, I'll be cruel. I'll be abusive. I'll do whatever I want because after all, my master's coming back a long ways from now. Not anytime soon. Verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and will put him with the unfaithful. Now some have struggled with Jesus' words there in verse 46. Is Jesus being metaphorical or is Jesus being serious? It was not unheard of for masters to come home and to actually slice and dice and kill their servant with a sword and cast them out. Whether Jesus is being exaggerated here for effect or whether this literally happened back then, the point is the same. Where's that servant taken? He puts him with the unfaithful. 
Now, this punishment reveals two truths that many pastors do not want to touch with a 10-foot pole. What are the, what's Jesus teaching with, these, with, with this servant that's being cut into pieces? Well, number one, this unfaithful servant professed allegiance to his master while the master was there. He made a profession of faith. When, he, when the master was around, he could say all the right lingo. But when the master left, he lived however he wanted to live. So what this shows is, this is a great picture of a false convert. Someone that plays the game, someone that can act like they understand the things of church, someone that when they're around church people, they, they make an initial profession of faith, they're all excited about Jesus, but then once they kind of forget about that, they go on and they live in flagrant, un, flagrant rebellion. They're good at playing church when the master's around but they live their lives in a totally ungodly way. The second teaching is this, and maybe you've never heard this before. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at verses 47 and 48. The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Okay, two types of servants. One who knew the master's will and one who didn't. Now, the one who knew the master's will and didn't obey it received a severe beating. The one who did not know his master's will still received a beating, but it was a lesser beating. So so here's the point. Those people living in unreached people groups in the world that have never had access to the gospel, they don't know the master's will. They don't know about salvation. They never heard of Jesus, but they will still end up in hell because of their unbelief. But it will be a a less severe judgment in hell. The scary part is this. Those that know, those that have heard, those that have had exposure, those that heard the gospel and then just disobeyed it and went their own way, they will go to hell, but they will receive a stricter judgment. So both will receive hell, but there will be stricter judgment for the one who knew. So this is a warning. To those who are ready and faithful, The second coming of Christ will be a day of joy and hope and expectation and great gain. To those who are not ready, who are not faithful, to those who live in foolishness and worldliness, to those who who have not trusted Christ, the second coming of Christ will be a day of terror and judgment and great loss, an unrecoverable loss. It will be too late on that final day. So if you're like me, you find yourself a little bit discouraged at this point. And you ask yourself, okay, am I really ready for the second coming? Am I really faithful enough? Have I done enough? What if I've not done enough to get ready? What if I've not been faithful enough? Hear me very clearly. There's a great danger in evangelical churches to confuse faith 
with faithfulness. There's a huge difference. You are saved by faith. That means simple trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. You're not saved by your faithfulness. You're not saved by your obedience, your level of faithfulness, your intensity, your zeal. You're saved by faith in Christ. And there are times when we're not going to be as faithful as we should be. There are always going to be times where we fall short. There are always going to be times when we're not faithful, we're not ready. And here's the point. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. Do you know who the good and faithful servant is in this parable? Jesus alone. He's the only good and faithful servant who paid for our unfaithfulness. You see, when we are unfaithful, he is faithful to keep us saved. He's the one that started the work. He's the one that's going to finish the work. We did not earn our salvation. We cannot keep our salvation. Jesus does it from first to last. Think about it for a moment. All of us in reality are like the unfaithful servant. We're the ones that have been rebellious. We're the ones that have been wicked. We're the ones that, quote-unquote, deserve a spiritual beating, if you will. We're the ones that deserve that beating. But here's the good news. Jesus on the cross took that beating for us in the form of nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus paid it all. Jesus is the true and faithful servant Jesus finished the work on the cross. He paid for our sins. He rose again. He ascended back up to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, and He is coming again. So how do we respond to our Savior who saved us by grace, died on the cross, rose again, and is coming back? Are you ready for His coming? The last verse Everyone to whom much was given, of much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Have you been given much? Think about how much exposure you've had to the Bible. How many Bible studies you've been to. How many sermons you've listened to. How many songs you've heard. How many teachers you've sat under. How many blessings God has given you. How many gifts He's given you. How He's blessed you with talents. How He's blessed you with money. All the things that God has blessed you with. You have great privileges. You you may think I don't have much, but you have a lot more than most of the world. As far as exposure, as far as resources, as far as what God has blessed you with. As an American Christian, we've been blessed with a lot. The question is, are you being faithful with what God's given you? Are you ready and are you faithful? And it's only by God's sovereign grace that you can be ready and faithful. So as we think about the return of Christ, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. You know, one of the ways that we wait for Christ's coming is we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Jesus even tells us that. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul passes on to us what Jesus told him. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this club, cup, what are you doing? You're proclaiming the Lord's death until what? Until he comes. Until he comes. 
So in a sense, when we're celebrating Lord's Supper, we are celebrating his death, burial, and resurrection for us, but we're doing it in expectation until he comes. We're ready for the coming of Christ. Are you ready? Verse 40, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Let's bow our heads this morning and be prepared for not only the Lord's Supper, but also for His second coming. Prayer is that there is nobody in this room that is not ready for the second coming by getting saved. So Lord, I, I pray that if there's anybody in this room today that needs to get saved, that needs salvation, that needs to trust in Christ, that that would be the very first thing they would do. They would run into your arms, Jesus. They would get ready for the second coming by being saved. Lord, we also want to continue to be ready. We need your grace to live controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. The same grace that you saved us with is the grace that you sustain us with. And so, Jesus, every step of the way, we need grace. So help us to be good and faithful servants while we wait. Help us to evaluate our lives this morning and see if we're ready. Help us to think often about the second coming of Christ. Not, let it not bring fear to our hearts, but hope and joy to our hearts, but also a seriousness. Help us to not be like the second servant that just thought you're never coming back and we can do whatever we want. We've got as much time as we need. There's no judgment. There's no second coming. We can do whatever we want. Lord, help us to have our hearts fixed upon you. And as the scripture says, Lord, come soon. Come quickly. Maranatha. We want you to come soon, Jesus. But we know that it's on your timetable. There may be things that need to happen in this world before you come back that only you know. Help us to do our part in sharing the gospel and living for Christ and being a witness and being light until that day. So Lord, by your grace, help us to be ready, watching. Help us to be dressed for action. Help us to keep our lamps burning. Help us to stay awake, watching and waiting for your return. And as we take the Lord's Supper, help us to proclaim your death until you come back again. And it's in your name that we pray this, Jesus. Amen.